Mark was the basis upon which Matthew and Luke wrote their Gospels. They took the, the account of the resurrection of Jesus, this, this empty tomb, tomb scene comes from Mark's Gospel, and the authors of Matthew and Luke used it to form their version of the story of the resurrection, their version of the discovery of the empty tomb, their version of the discovery that Jesus was not there, that He had been risen. And there are, there are differences between Matthew and Luke and Mark, but, but, but the basic story is the same. Indeed, there are similarities between Matthew, Mark, and Luke on one hand and John on the other, but, but, the, but the basics of the story are the same. Notice that some women come and they discover the tomb empty. And notice also that one of them in all four Gospels, one of them is Mary Magdalene. The very first proclaimer of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the very first proclaimer of the resurrection is Mary Magdalene. She's the first evangelist. She's the first preacher of the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus is raised. And they come in, and they find this tomb empty, and they find this young man standing in there. Now, Matthew and Luke describe this young man, sometimes there's more than one, and it seems that it's an angel, but Mark's not really sure about that. He calls him a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he says to them, don't be alarmed, don't be worried, don't be upset, don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, here's the place they laid him. But go. Go and tell his disciples and Peter. Notice how this, this young man, this angel, singles out Peter. Peter, especially amongst the disciples, for this message. Now, if you believe the traditions of the early church, if you believe the traditions that come to us from Bishop Papias of Heriopolis, who was writing in the, the first half of the second century, then we know that Mark, John Mark, wrote his gospel based on the preachings and teachings of Peter. And it is in Mark's gospel that, that, the, that Peter is given the most hard time, the most difficult time. He is displayed as being the most troublesome of the disciples. He, he's constantly putting left foot in mouth. He's constantly getting himself into trouble. He's constantly saying things he ought not to say. In, in Matthew and Luke, it's there. Peter does indeed stick his foot in his mouth, but, but not like in Mark. Mark gives it the most unvarnished, unrehabilitated un, un, un image of Peter. And I believe that it's true in his preachings and in his teachings, he probably gave himself a really hard time about his failure, his repeated failures in conjunction with the life and ministry of Jesus, his repeated failure to comprehend what was going on at the time, and indeed his failure when he denied Jesus three times. That's in, it's in the synoptics, all three synoptics, but in Mark, his failing here is stark, unmistakable. So it's no accident that the young man comes out with, go tell his disciples and Peter that he will meet them in Galilee like he told them before. And then it says, so they went out 
and fled from the tomb. For terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That's the English rendering of it, trying to be proper with good English. In the Greek, the double negative really gets the idea across really strong. And they said nothing to nobody. Hmm. They went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. The word terror translates the Greek word traumas. Traumas, from which we get the word trauma. It means literally trembling or quavering. It means shivering with terror almost. Traumas, trauma. We get that word trauma from traumas. It means trembling or quavering. And the word amazement. Amazement translates the word ecstasis. Ecstasis. And we get the word ecstasy from the word ecstasis, and it has a couple of meanings. Firstly, ecstasis means a state of consternation or profound emotional experience to the point of being beside oneself. Huh. Consternation, profound emotional experience to the point of being beside oneself, and a state of being in which consciousness is wholly or partially suspended, and it's frequently associated with divine action, like a trance, like ecstasy. So when you are in prayer and you feel like you're coming to the immediate, powerful, real presence of God, and you can feel God right there in your midst, and you're afraid that if you open your eyes, you'll see God and be blown away by God's majesty, in that instance, that moment of ecstasy, that's the concept being communicated here. So you got traumas, Trauma, quivering, and you've got ecstasy, ecstasis, this idea of amazement. And it seizes them, it captures them, it takes hold of them, and they are stunned and almost can't do anything as a result. And it says that they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that ending has bothered readers for 1,900 years. So much so, in fact, that some of the copyists have tried to add endings to the ending of Mark. There are at least three possible uh, uh, candidates for endings to Mark's gospel. There's one that's in your King James, There's a really, really short one, and then there's a third one that's really different from those two. And then sometimes you find them both together. Copyists didn't know what to do with these multiple endings, but we know that they don't go back to the original, to the earliest copies that we've got. It seems as though there may have been another ending. There may have been something more beyond those words, but we don't know what they were. But we do know from Matthew and from Luke and from John that they didn't keep quiet forever. They may have been seized by traumas and ecstasy. They may have been seized by trembling and amazement. 
They may have been seized in the amazing reality of the presence of God and what this empty tomb would mean for them and for everybody that would come after them for centuries to come. They may have been seized by the enormity of the event so that they couldn't speak at first. But eventually they did speak. Eventually they did go and they shared this message, this good news, this proclamation that the tomb was empty, that Jesus wasn't there, that Jesus was going to meet them. And they told this message to the disciples and to Peter. This message of the good news. This message of the traumatic, ecstatic resurrection of Jesus. It's a message that we are called to proclaim, not just on Easter Sunday, not just on every Sunday, which is supposed to be a mini Easter, not just on Resurrection Sunday do we proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. We are called to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. We're called to proclaim this good news of victory over death. We're called to proclaim this good news of victory over sin. We're called to proclaim this good news of Christ's victorious work every day. Not just on Easter, not just on Sunday, every day. And it's a message not just about the resurrection of Jesus. If the message of the resurrection is just about the coming back to life of a rabbi from Nazareth 1,985 years ago, if that's all this message is, then it doesn't do much for us. But in truth, the message of the resurrection is about God's defeat of, of death. God's defeat, God's victory over death. Our death, our ceasing to be. For you see, because of what Jesus did for us, going to the cross and dying for us, because of what Jesus did for us, we do not have to fear death. That last enemy has been defeated already. Because he took death to the grave. He took death to death for us. You see, the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus is not just the promise of our future eternal life. It's also the proclamation of Jesus' presence here and now, and our resurrection here and now. It's not just a defeat of our future death, it's a defeat of our current death, a defeat of the death that we experience daily in sin, in separation from God, in separation from others, in a refusal to love, in a refusal to live the life that God has us to live, in a refusal to live according to the will and the calling of Jesus. The resurrection it's not just the revivification of a dead rabbi from Nazareth. And it's not just a proclamation and a promise and the hope of our future resurrection, of our future eternal life. 
The resurrection is the proclamation of eternal life for each of us right here and right now. A life that can enter into us and transform us and remold us and give us truly an awareness of the presence of God and that we can become then that presence for others. The resurrection is the proclamation of Christ's victory over death. And that victory has implications for us right here. How are we going to live as a resurrected, as a raised people? How are we going to live as a people who have the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead living within us? How are we going to live as a people who have eternity alive within us today? Are we going to live as a people who live a life that is already in eternity? Are we going to live a life with the power of God in us? Or are we going to go home? And say, okay, we had a nice Easter. The lilies were pretty. The music was nice. The sermon was nice. Communion was nice. Fellowship was nice. Dinner was great. And we'll forget about it come Monday. And we've gotten what we need to go, to, to go through the rest of the year until Christmas. And then we can go back to church again. Hmm. Or are we going to walk out of this sanctuary filled with the power of the one who raised Jesus from the dead, filled with the power of the grace of God, filled with the life-transforming presence of Jesus? Are we going to walk out so bursting with a trembling and ecstasy that these women experience at the tomb, that we can't keep silent, but must live it and speak it and share it with all? Are we going to be alive and live this resurrected life that God has given us in Jesus? This life that can change us. This life that has already changed us. That's the message of the resurrection. God piercing into time, piercing into this universe with the power of eternal life in Jesus Christ. True unlimited love expressed for each of us which we receive and are called to share. Are we going to walk out of here with that message and live it? I invite you to come to the table of the Lord today and be filled with the traumas and ecstasis, with this trembling ecstasy of the power of God that can so transform your life that every day is resurrection day, that every day is a new beginning, that every day is new life in Jesus Christ, that every day is eternity for you 
here and now. It's not about something that is to come. It is about Christ's life in you today. He came out of that tomb to give you life everlasting, life eternal. And that starts right now. On your marks, get set, go. Let me In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of the First United Methodist Church in Commerce, Texas, and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2015 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information and for other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at First United Methodist Church, 1709 Highway 24, Commerce, Texas, 75428. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.